Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 74 of the State of Play podcast. I am your host, Martino Puccio. We have a loaded episode here today. Matteo Benetti joins Matt Santangelo for the first portion of this episode, and then after that, it is the three-headed monster, Pepperisha, myself, and Matt Santangelo discussing all things football. But first, we're going to send it on over to Matt and Matteo, so please enjoy this great interview. All right, so we have the legendary Matteo Bonetti. Of course, if you're familiar with his work on ESPN, then you'll definitely enjoy this little interview we have going on here. We've talked some Serie A, of course. Obviously, that's uh, for those who are unfamiliar with his upbringing uh, on Twitter, specifically with the, uh, the, the ESPN soccer names cover Milan years ago, and that's kind of where me and him crossed paths. So coming full circle here for episode 74, Matteo, welcome back for the second time, man. How are you? Uh, I'm good, man. Can I just tell the people listening right now that aren't seeing what I'm seeing on my screen? So we're connected on a Zoom call. <laughs> and our boy, Matt Santangelo, for some reason unknown to mankind, decided to go with this photo that's like a stock photo for one of those like really crappy magazines. You know where people would like go for stock photos <laughs> that it's like just a random dude. He's got a pink tie on right now. <laughs> this is all like my MacBook is 15 inches. I'm getting 15 inches of Matt's face with a pink tie on. I'm going to screenshot this and I'm going to reply to it when you post the podcast. I need everyone to see this. It is oh my tremendous. Gosh, please don't. Please tremendous. Don't. <laughs> Otherwise, people are going to think I'm a closeted Palermo fan, which wouldn't no, be a bad I'm, thing. But, but. But, you're Ita- but you're Italian, man. You're Italian. Yeah. You would get arrested for indecent exposure if you put that tie on in Italy, and you know that very well. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> the case. But. All right. So, so we have to start with a quick listen, jab just to get the energy going. Lighten the mood. Yeah, it's, it's totally fine. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Um, all right. So we have a, we've got a couple topics we'll run through real quickly, and then we'll, we'll uh, wrap this one up here, Matteo. So let's, let's, let's start with Juventus. Obviously – they're going through a little bit of a, a difficult run here. The Perhaps maybe the results won't indicate that they're in a, a really awful position. But if you look at the actual collective efforts, the performances overall, and specifically coming off the Derby d'Italia uh, defeat to Inter, it's, it's, a, it's a panic situation here for a lot of Juventus because I think obviously they see their reign, their nine-year reign as champions of Italy coming to an end. So let's, let's talk big picture Juventus here, right? Ronaldo looks like he p- could potentially extend for another year or two. Um, Bonucci, Chiellini uh, showing signs of being on the on the drastic decline. The midfield, despite adding Arthur and Bentecure coming on along quite well last year, along with Rabio, Juventus fans expected a little bit more from that midfield this year. And if some of their parts, it's just not there. So give us and the listeners your perception of where Juventus are going forward. Do you think they can turn this around? to keep their their reign and their dominance going or do you think this is the end and the summer can really see a mass exodus for some for some big key parts I think this is the end in terms of the dynasty they were never going to continue on forever it had to come to an end sometime Pirlo took over a job man that it was almost like the only way to go is down because this team is not going to win the Champions League. And, and what, they're going to win it. And I'm sure someone's going to clip it and put it up and say, ah, the, the cal- look at what the Calcio guys said. They're not going to win the Champions League. Like, they're not even one of the top three sides right now in Serie A. And they're going to go off into the Europe with Cristiano Ronaldo. And I have no idea what the rest of the team is because this team doesn't really have an identity. Andrea Pirlo's kind of going along with it as he goes, saying, oh, you know, let's plug an extra central midfielder. Oh, let's go back three, back four. Uh, let's switch it up. Let's go with a video game formation where you have Kiesa and Kulusevski on one side. I've covered 
every single UV game this season in some capacity, whether it's been studio shows or, or commentary. And it feels like from week to week, I'm seeing a different product. I have no idea what to expect. And if there was something that we knew about Juventus the last nine years, is that you always knew what you were getting. It might not have been the most spectacular football, but man, those guys could defend a lead like no one else in, in Europe, really. They were horrible to play against because they would take out the beauty of what you did. They would negate that and they would cancel your best attributes because of that legendary spine that they had with the BBC, the midfield that they and had. And unbeatable that at home. Dynamism. Unbeatable at home. Absolutely, man. It, sorry about that. My phone's going crazy right now. That's silent. Um, so Pilo first half of the season, two midfielders. They constantly get overrun. People are going down the middle, getting to the final third with ease. And then he realizes it about two months ago, I want to say that, you know what, maybe I'm going to put in that third central midfielder, give us a little bit more balance. And we're starting to see some semblance of a team that's playing better now. You're starting to see Weston McKinney being, I think, the best out of the central midfielders, even though it doesn't take much, uh, given the performances of, of Bentoncourt and Rabio and Arthur, who's not fully fit. But then again, I don't think Arthur's had that impact that people were expecting coming from Barcelona. He's beautiful on the ball, don't get me wrong, but what's the end product? Okay, he can keep possession, he can play the ball short, but I feel like you need more of an end product, more of someone who can play those incisive passes like an Andrea Pirlo or like a Locatelli, which ironically is exactly what Juventus is. Someone need. who can stretch, you... stretch the field vertically. and yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. This Juventus team was constructed awkwardly where you have a team that is incredibly top-heavy, that has all the depth in the world in the wide positions, that has some of the best players in, in, in the world up front. I think just in, in terms of pure talent with Paulo Dybala, who I think is a, is a magical player, just hasn't really been able to show it consistently. And obviously Cristiano Ronaldo, Morata, they have depth in those wide areas and up top. The defense, I think, is still very good on paper. Even if you take out, as you mentioned, Chiellini and Bonucci, you still have Delict and Demiral. And I think a lot of teams that were saying, right, we're going to build towards the future. You look at those two guys and you say, right, that could be one of the best partnerships in Serie A, maybe even the best, depending on how you rate Demiral. He still needs to play a lot more to, to really show exactly the capabilities that he has. But I really like what I've seen from him. He's very aggressive. He's an enforcer. I kind of see a little bit of Milan Skriniar in him. The best versions of Skriniar, someone who, you know, he's, he's just a, a nightmare to play against. He's always nipping at your heels. So I think Juve have pieces for the future as well. I think they're, you know, they, they, they did a decent job at bringing in young players as well as having the veterans. I think they have a nice mix. But that midfield is the biggest problem. It's why Sarri wasn't able to play his brand of football. It's why now there's this awkward mishmash of we don't really know what the identity is. There's not enough creativity. A lot of the positivity comes from individual brilliance from Cristiano Ronaldo, who's had to bail out Juventus in, in several games, or even Federico Chiesa has done a lot better. So I think the main objective, Matt, going forward and this summer is to find a way to get that midfielder, like Kevin De Bruyne, I'm saying that, that level midfielder, mm -hmm. like a Bruno Fernandes, even like a Paul Pogba, mm -hmm. who's not quite at the level of the two names I mentioned. Gonna ask about him, but, yeah. Yeah, but still someone who's got dynamism, still someone who can create things you don't expect that can score from 30 meters that can, you know, that, that, that gets people a different excited. dimension. It seems it's like, it's very, a very like on paper, Bentoncu, Rabiot, Arthur, and you're looking, Oh, this is a pretty solid did midfield. You, did you see against Inter? Rabiot looked like he had just come out of a club in Saint-Tropez 
<laughs> Bentoncourt was jogging as if he was on a nice Sunday walk. It matched with the intensity that Brozovic and, and Vidal even, who's been terrible the last few he weeks, got Vidal up was game, good. Man. And, and, and Barella, like th- that game from Inter, that was the best version of Conte. And what we saw from Juventus was the worst version of a team that is coached by a guy who's never coached in his life. I thought the disparity was unlike anything that we've seen in Serie A from Juventus. Juventus never did this against the big teams the last nine seasons in Serie A. They always showed up apart from maybe one or two games max, but never like that. Never were outplayed like that against a heated rival like Inter. There's a lot of question marks, man, and it's a tough situation because of that contract with Ronaldo and and the wage bill they have and COVID and the financial mess that every team is in, especially at Juventus. I think this summer is going to be the most telling tale of the direction of this club. I think that midfield needs to be the, the, the number one place where they say, right, if we really want to be who we thought we were going to be in Europe, we need to get the midfielder that makes the difference consistently because there's no one there. It's a revolving door. And it's a shame because Juventus have been the best chance for an Italian side to, to finally hoist the, the Champions League after Inter did it 10 years ago. But I don't think it's going to happen this season. It would be a shock if it did. I agree with you. I think there's pieces in this Juventus side that are obviously still have could be a good use for the project going forward. But there's just a lot of uh, heavy wages, uh, useless players. Maybe that's the, the the poor way of framing it. But the Bernadeskis of the world, and you know, uh, I, I like Danilo. I think he's come on really well this year. But there's, oh, generally speaking, there's players in the squad that are just not Juventus material that they simply cannot be relying on. And there needs to be some sort of, uh, not a complete revamping, because I think that's the wrong way of putting it. It pretty much means that this is done. They're blowing it or everything up. And as a club like Juve, you just simply cannot sell that to the fans, right? Like a rebuild. That's just not going to happen. I don't think they're far, far off from being where they want to be. But I agree with you. I think the midfield, it's funny since 2014, 2015, when they had Pirlo, Vidal, all these names, they still haven't been able to really fully address that midfield. Is it Paul Pogba? Maybe. I think he has the long ball in him. I think he, to your point, has the dynamism. He has those things in his locker that, at the very least, can take over a game, can run a midfield, can control the game on himself. So we'll have to wait and see how Juventus is doing the second half of the season. Um, you would know better than anyone else that, you know, like he's always spoken well about how Juventus have responded in the second half of their seasons, even in previous years where the first half is not as strong. They've, yes, maybe have gotten the results they needed to be positioned at the top, but the performance levels have always been historically better in the second half. So we'll have to see if Pirlo can get that same sort of reaction. But moving to Roma, now I'm not going to speak on the Coppa Italia disaster that Roma had versus Spezia today. But I want to talk about the project under Fonseca, um, under Friedkin, new ownership. So that's been uh, at least an encouraging positive for Romanisi to uh, hang their hats on. But when you look at this Roma squad, top to bottom, you know, post-selling Chesney and, and Alison Becker, um, Malahamed Salah, give, give us a sense of where you think Roma are at. And, and over the next couple of years, where do you think Roma could be potentially? Do you think they're going to be a team that's, going to drift more towards that Europa League type of squad where they're a strong team, but they're just not quite ready for the next level? Or do you think they have it in them to maybe push forward and be a team that, that reaches uh, more towards being a title contender? 
I like everything I've read of Friedkin. I, I feel like there's this is a serious ownership that has a serious vision for what the club needs to be. I put them in that four to six range, let's say, in City, uh, just because of how good the rest of the league has gotten. Everyone's gotten so much better. Even the, the bottom half of the table, you've got Spezia and and even Benevento and all these teams that are taking points from the big boys. It is tough, but Roma's problem isn't those teams. Roma's problem is they haven't been able to get good results against any of the top teams in Serie A this season. So when I look at the roster top to bottom, they've done some good things. They've they've certainly impressed, I think, in the scouting department by finding someone like the 22-year-old Gonzalo Villar, who they found from the second division in Spanish football where he was playing for Elche. I mean, that is... That is quite a pluck to get someone basically from the Spanish city of B. And he looks like one of the more elegant, classy midfielders. Uh, there's a huge Spanish influx in this Roma team. Uh, they still have players like Edin Dzeko, who are probably not going to stick around for too much longer. But I've always loved Dzeko, even if he's not scoring. I feel like that guy is so useful. I always know what I'm getting from him. I know that he's going to be a decoy at the very minimum. Uh, Pedro as well just smart IQ signings I I still predicted Roma would finish top four I have him right in that fourth spot but we haven't exactly seen some of the other signings like uh, Kumbula we haven't seen that Elos Verona form yet although you can make a case for all the Verona players that left that haven't really been able to recreate that form whether it's Romani at Napoli or Kumbula at Roma or uh, Amrabat at, uh, at Fiorentina but Roma always play well right? That's kind of like the sentiment ever since Luciano Spalletti in his 4-6-0 formation. They always seem to play well, but they always shoot themselves in the foot. And it's frustrating because I want Roma to succeed. And, uh, you know, we went to uh, to Rome to do the Roma-Juve game uh, about a year and a half ago. And just going around the town, talking to Roma fans before such a big game and just seeing the passion in that city and how that is a religion in Rome. If you're Lazio or Roma in the the vitriol that the two sides have against each other. I really want Roma to do well, man. I I, I like the kind of style under Fonseca. I would keep him. I, I would keep him 100%. I feel Absolutely. like he already made the right call in switching from – he switched uh, uh, defensive lines. He switched uh, formations at the start of the season. And he's been showing flashes from this team that they can be one of the slickest sides. They can create chances like crazy. They – they're getting the best out of players that haven't really done much in the last few years. I mean, just look at Enric Mkhitaryan. This is like the, the Borussia Dortmund version of him before yeah. he went to the Premier League, how good he's been. So Fonseca, sort of like Pioli, is unlocking players and getting the best out of players that for whatever reason haven't been able to express that ability for quite some time. Um, it's a bit worrying that they're not doing well against any of the top sides uh, this season in Serie A, but you can still finish in fourth place and lose to the three teams ahead of you as long as you take care of business against everyone else in the table. That's very true. And I think the one thing with, with Roma this year that I have found is it's, it, it was, it's, a, it's a difficult year, right? You know, obviously they're a team that's notoriously been one that, yes, does make some purchase deals, but has sold big stars. And, you know, it's funny, we, we had John Solano um, come on during the summer, I think maybe at the time of freaking you know taking over from palota and i, I asked him like well what are you, what is what what should roma fans expect on the market because are they going to be a team that continues to sell their best players are they going to be a club that can buy some big players and can really build a nice nice project here and he pretty much was optimistic but he wasn't overly optimistic in the sense that he didn't expect it to be a drastic change 
from what we've seen with Pelota. And the way I look at this with Roma, Matteo, is I see this year specifically them maybe trying to co- make some corrections and correct the mistakes that maybe Monchi made on the market. You know, some players, I just don't know where, where on, the, on this squad they fit. Cristante was bought in at a pretty high fee off a great year at Atalanta scoring goals from the midfield. And then he's just not the same player, a player that's really and he never can't play defense. Potential. Let's just clear that out of the way. He cannot, he's, yeah. he shouldn't be playing in the defense. Yeah. It's, it's just, you look at, so you look at some of the players on this squad. I mean, Chingis Under was, you know, moved on to Leicester city. So we'll coop some money on there once that, that deal becomes permanent. But, you know, I think it's, it's one of those things where I, you have to forge an identity. And I think Fonseca has done a pretty good job, all things considered. Um, you know, with the COVID, you know, even last year, they had some, a, a pretty substantial amount of injuries that they had to overcome. And they still found themselves kind of in that conversation. I even thought before um, the, the, the game against Lazio, where you looked at the table and I thought Roma were having like a sneaky productive season. I don't think, I think everyone was focusing on Inter, Juve, what Milan are obviously doing. And we're kind of forgetting that Roma were like sneakily, like a couple points off the top of the table. And look, look, uh, Matt, uh, while you're saying this about Roma, I'm just looking at the team right now. It's like they've, Zaniolo is going to come back and I'm going to say something that I sound like Adriano Gagliani, but he's going to be like a new signing when he comes back. <laughs> right? I mean, Zaniolo was one of my favorite players in the entire league. Like, and, and it sucks to think that he got hurt in that Juve game where he had started so well and he went down on his own and he was just running riot throughout the entire uh, Juve side. But I mean, just look at a team that has Pellegrini, Vertu, and Villar in the midfield. Right, and then you have up front Zaniolo, Jaco, um, Mkhitaryan. With on the bench, you can bring off Mayoral, Carles Perez, who I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, j- there, there's so many players that have characteristics of I can play with the ball on my feet, I can pass it quickly, I can play this modern football. And I don't know if did you see that stat on Twitter that I'm not usually a big stats guy, but some guy I don't know, some guy that maybe doesn't have a lot he has a lot of time on his hands he did this top good big chances in the top five european leagues and roma was number one roma was the team in the top five european leagues that created the most quote-unquote big chances i don't know how the big in the chances was measured but i don't need that stat or that guy to tell me what i've seen already and what you've seen as the eye test which is this team finds its way into the final third so easily. Like they play good football. They're attractive to watch until then they have a complete catastrophe in it like they did in the, in the Derby della Capitale and not advancing um, uh, in the Coppa Italia and all these messes that they get themselves into. And it's frustrating because it's like, we know exactly what this team can be. We've seen the best version of this team. Just give me that continuously, man. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you kind of see it in Spurs and Roma, Roma could look impressive. And I think I saw even a statue of Borja Mayoral had something like four or five like big chances or big opportunities missed. And I think it's one of those things where you've relied on Jekyll such a long time to be that the deliverer of those goals. But it's certainly going to become a focus for them heading uh, forward, you know, obviously creating those chances. Yes, it's great. But you see the impact it's had on Milan, right, when you have that talisman up front to bury those goals, even Lukaku, it just, there's something that the squad gravitates towards when you have that, that big performer up front. And I think that's maybe what Roma's missing amongst its um, main competitors in, uh, in, at the top of the table. But let's move on to Fiorentina real quick. Um, I don't want to take too much time on them, but I know uh, you and I have been, um, I think you mentioned something in the very 
beginning of the season about Beppe Iacchini, of course, the former manager of Fiorentina, was sacked um, and replaced with Cesare Prandelli. Now, this team, Matteo, it's frustrating to watch them hover. I know they had their issues in the past with the ownership and everything like that. They got Comiso in there, who's uh, showed great ambition to bring this Fiorentina back to being a, a legitimate team in Serie A. But there's too much quality in this side for them to be hovering mid-table and bottom half of the table. So when I look at the makeup of the team, I think Vlahovic, I think Malenkovic, I think Petzela, I think Dragoski is a really fine goalkeeper. I, I look at the players they have, Polgar, um, you know, Ribéry, Bonaventura, they, they have guys in the squad that should put them more in that six to eight range at the, at the least, you'd think, right? So talk about Fiorentina as a project and really what you think going forward they do, aside from, of course, establishing who their main manager is going to be, the guy that they uh, hopefully can lead them forward. But just talk about Fiorentina and their project and what Fiorentina fans can hope to expect um, with this, with this club under Comiso's ownership. Yeah, I'm glad that you're mentioning Fiorentina because I was on the call on Sunday at 6.30, uh, the game between Napoli and Fiorentina that Napoli won 6-0. And I was a bit worried about Prandelli in this game, to be honest, because when I saw the formation coming out, I remember I was sitting next to the play-by-play guy, Mark Donaldson, who I do all the games with, and I said, we were socially distanced, of course, in different rooms, <laughs> but we talked over headset. So guys, calm down, we're being safe. Um, Fiorentina, they released the lineup, 5.30, you know, we're all crusty-eyed. We see the lineup and we kind of wake up and we're like, hold on a second, this is not going to work. There's no way that against a team like Napoli, that we know how Napoli can play, even though they've been missing key players like Victor Alziman and Dries Mertens coming back from injury, whatever. But Fiorentina had Castrovilli and Amarabat, that's it, as the two central midfielders. Castrovilli, who's the number 10, who shouldn't be playing that deep. And then Amrabat, who was stuck on his own, basically defending the whole midfield on his own because Castrovilli kept going forward. That's not Castrovilli's job to defend. That's not what he does well at all. He's someone who's a you know, former dancer. He likes the ball at his feet. You got to put him near the box and, and let him dribble past players. Sometimes he gets carried away with that, but whatever. There's a reason why Napoli won 6-0. Cesare Prandelli got this one completely wrong. The, uh, Prade, the, the sporting director, why, why did they sell Duncan to, to Cagliari? Duncan went to Cagliari, right? Mm-hmm. It was Cagliari? I feel like I'm... Uh, and he was I'm, a previous on I've been up since 4 a.m., man. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, yeah, I can't even catch my words right now. It's been, <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, yeah, Prade sells uh, Duncan, a central midfielder that they could have really used. They could have used help for Amrabat to defend... They could have put in Eric Pulgar. You put anyone else. You just put another body in there. It reminded me, Matt, of Ventura playing against Spain with Italy in the 4-2-4. Four, two, four, four, and then yeah. you have two central midfielders against the Spanish side that has six midfielders with the strikers coming back. And Italy got destroyed. It was the same exact thing. We mentioned that game before the start of Napoli-Fiore. And Fiore got smacked 6-0. Now, it doesn't excuse that the defense was just torched to a level that I don't remember seeing in Serie A defense playing that badly. But let's go back to your more general question about Fiorentina because I thought wrongly yet again, they always tease me with all these signings like Jack Bonaventura, a player that I'm very fond of, and Castrovilli, one of my favorite players. He gets the number 10. And Vlaovic, I have high hopes for him. And Frank Ribéry and Kwame, who was the strike partner of Piontek at 
at Genoa. And a good defense on paper. Pizzello's a good Serie A defender. Milinkovic was, you know, linked to big teams. This is someone who's a good Serie A defender. And then you have the experience of, of uh, Martin Caceres. And, and, and you have decent wide players, I guess, um, in Biraghi and Venuti, who I kind of like. But this team on paper, I ranked every, every season, man, I ranked the teams in order of talent on paper. Just to see how it shapes up. Just to see who's overachieving, who's underachieving. For example, last season I had Lazio 6th uh, or 7th, and they were 2nd up until the post-lockdown. So they overachieved. And I'm not saying my list is the be an end-all, yeah. and that's like what you should focus on. But in my mind, that's how I like to kind of visualize and say, right, that team's doing better than they should. I had Fiorentina. Before I tell you, where do you think I had Fiorentina out of the 20 teams? 8th. 8th? Very close. I had them ninth. Where would you have put them? Around that same zone, I guess, right? Top half of the table, basically. absolutely. Right, exactly. This is a top half of the table team. And I say it on every commentary. I say it. This team, the fact that they're fighting for salvation every single season is the single biggest embarrassment. There's no team that's underachieving like Fiorentina. From Vincenzo Montella to Beppe Iacchini to now Cesare Prandelli, who's a nostalgic let's just say it how it is. He's, he's a nostalgic manager for, for Fiorentina, right? The last good days of Fiorentina in the Champions League were under Cesare Prandelli, a team that had a lot of quality, a team that got robbed by Bayern Munich. They bring him back and it just hasn't really worked out. And for some reason, no one is able to get all these players on the same page, working together, working and fighting off the ball and realizing their potential. And it's so frustrating because this team should be one of the slickest playing sides in Serie A. When you think of it, Vlaovic and Callejon and Ribery and all these midfielders that are good with the ball at their feet. Like, this team should be so much they better. They have a good dynamic, squad dynamic of, of younger players, veteran players they like do. the Ribery's and... Of course they do. And, and I thought Amrabat was one of the signings of the season. Yeah. We watched that guy with Ellis Verona. He was a baller. He was one of the best box-to-box midfielders. He's... Not the same player now at Fiorentino. He's showing flashes now, but he's not the same player. I don't, I don't know where they go because they keep bringing in players that I like, and they have so many players that I like individually that I think if you remove them from this Fiorentina situation, which just seems dysfunctional, and you put them on another team that has more of a, I guess, a philosophy in place or an identity, I think that those players would then go on and, and, and play to their potential. I, the the one thing I think that's really been a detriment to Fiorentina and the growth of the project um, really just started with Comiso committing to Montella after he nearly got them relegated. That was weird. That was so I, weird. Cause I just it's like, didn't understand. Why under- are you giving just, this guy time when I didn't he understand nearly got it. relegated? I just didn't understand it. He went with them and obviously it backfired. In Beppacchini had a decent finish to last season. And then they confirmed him again. So I think it's one of the cases where I think it's not a simple fix because nothing's simple in this game. And we obviously have seen, you know, coaches be wrongly hired and just not be a fit. But Luciano Spalletti, someone like maybe Maurizio Sarri, just to play. I think Spalletti would have been too expensive. That's the only thing. Yeah, I just, I just don't know. Was, was, would there have been anybody else besides Prandelli that you would have maybe went with? Cersei Cosme? <laughs> No, I, I really don't know. I, I mean, who really is out there it's that tough. is 
There's always like a recycling of managers. I find at some of these clubs. Yeah, you're gonna get the same managers, the you know the Ballardinis and the the Beppe Nicolas and and Davide Nicola and all these guys that are normally lower half of the table managers, managers that should not be at Fiorentina, like Beppe Iacchini. Fiorentina was his dream job. He's never managed a team like Fiorentina. Beppe Iacchini is normally managing the team that gets smashed by Fiorentina. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see what where they go moving forward because I think they're they're they have some pieces there. Comiso seems like he is the type of type of owner that would be ambitious and like to get a high profile manager in there. I'm not saying an Allegri by no means, but someone that I think you know can establish an identity and get the most out of players um, is what they need to do. I think that's the biggest focus for them. But lastly, Matea, before we let you go, we're gonna have you profile a player and who is that player? Rovella, our boy. I really like this kid. I, I went on uh, the, the good old Y Scout, which is a fabulous program. Have you ever used this program, Y Scout? I have. You can it, watch like, little so- segments and pieces of matches and like instances and like sequences that he had in games. It's, it's great. Yeah, so Y Scout is actually a place where you can learn a lot about a footballer because you will see every single involvement that they've had, not just mm-hmm. passes with terrible Belarusian dance music. <laughs> you will actually see the player in every single involvement he has, even the smallest ones. And I've, I've seen Rovella uh, with Genoa this season. I really like what I'm seeing. He's a deep-lying playmaker that – very rare do you see someone who's a teenager playing in front of the defense I actually can't think of that many examples to be honest and very comfortable when the ball gets to him and even if he's facing pressure he's light on his feet he's I'd say he's he's frail right as a player he's not the biggest guy you could see him getting knocked around a bit but from what I've seen it looks like he also has pretty good balance just because of his smaller stature and he's very agile on the ball uh, the thing that you I like to see the most from a player who's a deep line playmaker, even in commentary, is when the ball's coming towards them, do they know where they're going with their first touch? Because that's the biggest thing in terms of a deep line playmaker getting dispossessed is the ball's coming towards him, and he's probably got two or three markers all around him ready to barge into him, win the ball back. Suddenly it's a short field, and it's a great o- occasion for the other team. But Rovella, what he does very well is his awareness uh, in terms of having this kind of swivel vision where he's constantly looking around, scanning the field, where is everyone else I need to uh, pay attention to. And when he gets the ball, and this is the best sign for people who are Juventus fans uh, listening on, because this is basically the player that, like a Locatelli, that they need, Mm. someone who is a genuine, traditional, deep-lying playmaker, who has good passing range, who links up, who can keep things simple, just the classic midfield orchestrator, um, not like Pjanic, <laughs> but I think he has a, a – I, I genuinely do think he has a very high ceiling, this guy, because some, some of the things that he's showing at this early age and the, the fearlessness of playing in that position when you're 19 is, is a great sign. And I'm, I'm very curious to see how his career unfolds. I expect him to be kept on loan for at least another season, even after this one. Maybe he stays at Geno. I'm not sure what they're going to decide over the summer, but I would like to see him in a position where he gets a chance to play regularly so he can develop because these are going to be the most important years now that he's 20, then 21, 22. This is where the players make that jump to truly being at that next level where you can anchor the Juve midfield in, in the Champions League. Yeah, I, I, look, I like Rovella quite a bit from what I've seen. And the one thing I do look at with him in a potential... Juventus situation is 
well, can they give him the opportunity? Can they afford him the minutes, right? I mean, you mentioned it. He could probably stay on loan for another year, year and a half, whatever the case may be. So they're not going to have to worry about that right now in the short term. But Juventus have been uh, criticized by their own fans for not being able to ease along some players in their youth academy. And they've always kind of opted to go with like the Mandragoras of the world like that have some upside, some potential that many fans think, oh, maybe the guy has a shot. And then he gets sold for 15 to 20 million to Udinese or some of these other clubs. And you never see that academy player like we've seen at these other clubs, like Milan, for instance, with Donnarumma, Calabria, you know, Cutrone, Locatelli over the years. So is that something that concerns you with Juventus? Do you think that moving forward, and you're real quick to harp back on Juve, do you think with the summer coming up, the new market and, and just maybe a potential shift for them? Do you think there's opportunity for younger players to get more opportunity? Or do you think it's going to be the same old buy guys on free transfers for high wages? Yeah, I think it might be that, to be honest. And I worry a lot about these young players. I worried about Chiesa, but now Chiesa has shown that he's a mm. starter on this team. He's, I don't know if it's going to last forever, but I'm using Chiesa as, as an example because I think it ties into what you're asking, which is, these young players that go to Juventus and suddenly they're not getting any playing time. They're not being able to develop. Federico Bernardeschi is the best example from recent times. A guy who cost Juventus around $50 million and he can hardly get a minute now. They're playing him wherever. It's like a plug and play. Oh, look, he's he's a left left back back now this week. In the Supercopa. Yeah, it's crazy. They're just lineup. Everyone has a different position for this guy. I don't think Ben Andreski even knows what kind of player he is anymore. He's so, he doesn't even dribble anymore. He used to be a five-skill move guy. Now he's a left back. It's crazy. And Chiesa comes in, and now he's put Kuluseski on the bench for the time being. And I just I, – I always worry about – you know, because Juventus have the most financial might right now. They can buy the best players in Serie A, basically. It's like, oh, that guy's doing really well. Roma, bring him in. That guy, Milan, bring him in. And someone like Rovella – I don't think he plays other than maybe like the Coppa Italia if he's on Juve or the rare game. And maybe under Pirlo, if he stays, that's different because Pirlo has played Frabotta, he's played Portanova, he's played these guys that I don't think other managers would have been as... I think they would have been a little bit more hesitant on. It seems like Pirlo does take chances, right? Maybe because he's trying to figure things out. Maybe because he just genuinely has confidence in young players. But if there's a positive, it is that, is that Pirlo is pretty fearless in playing young guys. So if he stays, maybe, who knows, maybe Rovella gets a chance. I mean, it can't be worse than some of the performances that we're seeing from Bentancourt and, and Rabio, can it? No, I think, you know, there, there needs to be a shakeup in the midfield regardless. And I think maybe Rovella is uh, the type of profile, as you mentioned, in covering him and what he offers. Something they're looking for. If it's not Rovella, maybe it's Locatelli because there's a ton of interest. I know you chatted about um, Locatelli um, about being linked to Man City. So maybe someone like that, I think, you know, they definitely do need in the midfield. But Mateo, we'll end it there. Before you go, plug any work, your, your podcasts, um, any upcoming matches you'll be calling on ESPN, give it away. Yes, we're doing, so this is taping on a Tuesday afternoon. I'm not sure how long it takes uh, for you to post this, but we'll be doing the Supercopa tomorrow at uh, 2.50 p.m. on ESPN. Uh, me, myself and Mark Donaldson, we got the studio, we got the full commentary, Juventus Napoli. And uh, if you want to hear more of my rambling uh, voice, that by the way when i was young i was told i sounded like a mixture of and you're gonna laugh at this <laughs> hopefully it's not the case anymore because i'm a commentator but they said napoleon dynamite mixed with stoned jesus interesting 
Interesting, right? Do you, can you hear it? Or, mm. I hear it. I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing the, the... I hope it's not the dance moves, like, you know, the, the, the movie <laughs> and stuff. But. It is. It is as well the dance moves. <laughs> like, I do have that in my locker. Um, right. Okay. So, yeah, it's uh, Napoli Juve. And then my podcast is Calciocast, which I do twice a week. And uh, we always have fun. We, have, we actually have a great community. Just like I know you have a great city, our community. We have this, you know, we got all these patrons that they're always asking questions. We answer their questions on, on the episode. And I feel like the city, community, when you do make these friends, like it actually is one of the tightest knit ones. Mm. I feel like city fans generally just have a chip on their shoulder, right? Because they're kind of looking up to the other leagues that everyone's watching yeah. and, and thinking, no, no, our league is the one that everyone needs to realize. But since they don't, it'll just be our good little thing here that we talk about. So I love these, uh, these culture communities scattered all over the internet. Absolutely, Matteo. It's it's been a, it's been a pleasure to have you back on. We'll, we'll definitely do this again real soon. But um, we'll wrap it up there. Awesome. Thanks, man. Okay, that was another great interview with Matteo Benetti. Uh, him and Matt love doing these solo interviews uh, together. Always great. What content. about us, Matt? What about us? You know what it is. I had to. I had to just. I had to jump at the opportunity. Matteo messaged me. He's like, "I got twenty minutes now. You ready to roll?" And I'm like, "Let's do it." So it was a great chat. I think we actually did the solo interview with Matteo for episode fifty with, between yeah. him and I. So um, always great to have on. him on. And um, yeah, it's funny that we have him on it. Are, are kind of around like milestone episodes, right? Fifty, seventy-four, seventy-five. So it was a great chat with him, and um, we thank him for coming on. Yeah, um, obviously there's no one uh, better to talk to um, stateside for Serie um, So, yeah, I mean, let's get into it. It, it was a huge week, uh, weekend uh, for the Premier League. Chelsea, Leicester, United, Liverpool. Um, Frank Lampard is on thin ice, as you could possibly be. Um, so we'll start with the first fixture that happened, United, Liverpool. This was this put so many people to sleep. Like everyone had the same comment for this match, and it had nothing to do with the result. It just had to do with how boring it was and how awful. I quite and then, enjoyed it. You, of course, you did. Yeah, I really thought it was like an intense big game. You know, I th- I think for neutral spectators, yeah, sure. I think that's where they're coming from. And there's always you know low scoring draws. People don't, people don't love that. And that's, and that's also for me talking to people over here in the United States, because everyone's so used to high scoring sports. Lots yeah. of, that's why they have a tough time getting into football because they always complain about that. And the fact that you always, can draw, right? The, 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 don't even get me with the draw thing. There's, <laughs> there's, there's two other sports that, that can end in draws. One being in hockey where they go to, into uh, overtime where it gets you extra points and shootouts. And the most popular sport in this country can end in a tie, but no one ever wants to talk about that. And, and it happens. It happened this year. It's people, it's, it's the lack of knowledge on the sport of football. That's really, I think that there's another thing though, Martino, and that um, with United Liverpool, people really still romanticize that fixture uh, into mm. the old kind of, uh, you know, the Gerard Torres versus Vidic type thing um, mm-hmm. when Liverpool were getting a bit close to the title again. And then if you take it even further back in the kind of, you know, 80s and 90s was was a really big game as well. And then also when you had the uh, kind of Ronaldo Rooney uh, Tevez 
uh, era of United as well. I think a lot of those games, they had so much drama, quite a few goals, lots of red cards. If you remember Vidic getting sent off against Torres, Gerard getting sent off as soon as he gets uh, put on the pitch. There was more bad blood. Yeah, more bad blood. And I think now that United are slowly starting to rebuild, um, this was a game where they got taken a little bit more seriously. I actually thought they should have won the game, even though the XG was slightly in Liverpool's favour. Um, I think that the two big chances that United had were way bigger than any of the chances that Liverpool had. You know, the Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes chances, like your, your two best midfielders. Um, if you say to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, like, you're going to be in it to win it until the last 20 minutes and you have those two chances, he would have bitten your hand off it uh, for it. And I think that um, United really kind of, uh, they didn't really ever look too troubled by Liverpool. I was quite surprised by how the lack of incision we saw from, from Liverpool. I have to say, from minute 15 to about 60, Thiago Alcantara ran that show. But it was kind of like he did an amazing job in the middle of the pitch. And then when it got into the front three, which he did really, really well, getting into the ball, the ball into Shaqiri in between the lines and getting into the front three, there was just nothing, no spark, nothing there. Salah looked really off it. I thought Mane was really, really well handled by Aaron Wan-Bissaka, apart from one moment where he almost gave a penalty away. Um, and I thought Maguire and uh, I thought Lindelof especially was amazing. There was a lot made out of from from him coming in. Um, and I just thought like off the back of the, like, the lineups, I just looked at a, a bit of a mismatch, you know? Um, Thiago Shaqiri and uh and Ronaldo midfield against uh McTominay uh F- Fred Fernandez and Pogba obviously drifting in um it, it was a bit of a weird uh mismatch and also of course playing Henderson Fabinho at center back I'm sure Klopp would have been pleased not to concede but I thought it was a really interesting kind of chess match it was very intense but just it was a game that basically had everything but uh quality in the attacking third i think every single attacker on the pitch played like below their average performance which obviously will mean that it's quite unlikely that they'll be quite high scoring yeah i mean i i was i was seeing a couple shots from bobby firmino too they they just like looked off like he was rushing some of them the angles weren't great either i you know i mean i think it's just i think it's just catching up to liverpool too I think there's just so much that the front three is asked to do at this point. And I know the midfield is quality enough and the fullbacks are are good, but, you know, I think this is kind of like a trickle down effect of the Van Dyke injury. Like this is where it hurts them in matches like this, where they have to cover for a lot more and they're not able to, you know, they have to take on more responsibility. And when there's more responsibility taken on, the chances are of scoring goals are, are decreased substantially. So who would you think it's a better result for? You think it's a better result for Liverpool or Man United? I, I could argue it's a better result for Liverpool at the end of the day, considering United's mm. form. Um, because I think looking back at the end of the season, United will look at this as a lost opportunity to grab three points against Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah, I really do think so. And um, if you kind of look at how the league is set up now, if you look at Man City's next four fixtures where they have, uh, with all due respect to these teams, and I think Villa have had a fantastic season, but they haven't played for a couple of weeks. They've got a load of games to catch up on and a load of players have had COVID. Um, you'd expect them to beat them tonight. They've also got West Brom, Sheffield United and Burnley in their next four. And it's kind of like, 
who would bet against City winning all of those games and maybe making themselves like a three to five point cushion at the top of the table, um, they would have been looking at that fixture in the United Liverpool and those two drawing and, and kind of uh, being very, very happy with that. But they look very strong and I think it's no excuses for, for City now to win the title. Um, I don't think someone like Leicester will have the staying power, although they look really, really well drilled and and, and uh, really ha- do have a talented squad. Uh, and that's kind of next on to our next point in, in them playing Chelsea and at the end of the day winning really comfortably. I think Chelsea were dire from the off. They played a midfield of Kovacic Mount and Havertz and I just instantly looked at that and I was like you're playing that midfield against one of the best double pivots in the league in Didi and Tielemans I think personally Didi is the second best central defensive midfielder in the world after uh, Fabinho genuinely I think that at the moment on current form and he was absolutely dominant again like you can't as a manager pick I know you've got Kante missing but how do you look at that midfield and think yep that's competing like it's just they were just uh, it was just a world apart those two dominated and I'm doing, and I'm doing, how many how many times Madison this season well. how many times this season would you say the both of you that frank lampard knocked his 11 out of the park like it's you it's flawless i have no issues with it because almost every single time we're talking about chelsea if they're not winning we're talking about some someone's playing out of position and they're not playing to the standard that they should be playing to it's just like Werner's out of his position. Havertz is on the right side instead of being more central and and forward. Um, Obviously, players like Conte are going to be on the decline, but it's just, you know, Pulisic is what I I feel like it's just too much for him. And it's he can't. He's played a load of minutes. He's played a load of minutes. He's played a lot he has of to go. Lampard has to go. This is not this is not good enough. You cannot spend that amount of money, have zero wins against the top nine, and be in this position. If his name is not Frank Lampard and he's not a Chelsea legend, I bet he was gone by the start of the new year. He would have been gone already. This yeah. is unacceptable. But but this the is, issue is, is like who, who are the who are the replacements? You go get Max Allegri. You go and pay that money. You go but, and get him. But like what happens if Allegri doesn't work? Like what happens if he well, comes you can't in and the results like don't well? Sure, but like... You could say I'm that looking, for anybody then. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the available coaches and I'm like, you've got Thomas Tuchel, you've got Allegri, you've got a guy, you know, you do the old call up to Goose Hiddink and say, yeah, same terms as usual. <laughs> you go back and take Saudi? <laughs> oh, I don't think so. Um, no, I mean, you, you, you have uh, no choice but that. But this is, but I think this it's is Allegri. Again, this is their fault. It is, I it think, is. It I, think, I think Allegri, because I think the, the desire for him to join and move to the Premier League is there. It's something he's obviously been looking at. I think he's just right, waiting for the right opportunity. And the fact of the matter is that Chelsea have the parts in place. Yes, there's some parts that are uh, maybe surplus to requirements. They need to get shipped out. You know, obviously, Tomori looks like he's on his way to Milan. Players that are, have no really use for them right now that they can maybe supplement with someone else that's a little bit more uh, fitting for what Lampard or even like in a hypothetical situation with Allegri would uh, benefit from but i just think there's in the attack specifically there's so much overlap i find that there's you have you know what Giroud can do you know what certain players in the squad can do within reason but then you see like guys like hakim ziek and pulisic who had a really good strong second half post covid and then you look at it, you're like why is there some why are they not ticking why are they not firing on all cylinders i think it just comes obviously down to the manager because the players are good enough the players are of great quality and, you know, you look at this squad and it should be doing much, much more. And it's funny, we look at what Lampard's it, done with all these extra players. 
compared to what he did last year with a lot of the young players that he had. But but right? isn't this just really also bad squad building from Chelsea? Like let, let's let's oh, yeah. let, let, let's call it, it let, let's call it a duck a duck. Ago, I said it I said it I said it preseason, right? I said this team has a really weak spine and it looks like what they've done is they've just signed all the best young players that they could sign with the money that they have and they were opportunistic signings. Like mm-hmm. you've got Callum Hudson Adoy who's a very good young talented player who clearly needs minutes and doesn't really have that Pyramidic's much confidence. interested in him too, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you know, Bayern Munich want him for whatever crazy money. You've given him this 180k week contract. Like, why aren't you playing him? And then you buy a guy who plays in his position in Hakim Ziyech? Yeah. Okay. And then you've got Christian Pulisic, who was arguably Chelsea's best player at times in 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 kind of uh, in flashes. Post-COVID, was, I thought, yeah. Yeah, he, he was one of the best players. Like, I think Arsenal maybe lose that FA Cup final if he doesn't get injured in the FA Cup final. He was crazy, scary, dangerous that day. And then you go and buy a guy for 55 million to play in this position. Like, I just, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, if I look at this Arsenal squad now, I know what players they need. They need a, they need a central midfielder. They need a centre-back. They need a striker for when Lacazette goes in the, in the end. If Arsenal just went out and bought a player that plays in Bakayo Saka's position or Tierney's position or Leno's position, I'd be really confused. Like, that's just yeah. what Chelsea have done. It's it's on Lampard that they haven't done as well as they should have done, but it's also on the management at Chelsea for building right. a really poor squad. But th- having said that, like some of the management decisions I've seen Lampard take recently, just kind of simple decisions I found really weird. So against City, he brought back Ziyech, who hadn't played in ages and expected him to compete against on form the best team in the world. Let's 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 say, right? I just that's such a big ask for a guy who whose physical qualities aren't the greatest for him to come back into the team and just be amazing it it's really tough and I think Chelsea like I mean if it weren't for scoring loads of goals at corners I don't know where they'd be in the league I'm not going to lie to you so I think I think loads needs to be done they probably need to get a new coach, but they also need to look at their recruitment and say, we could have got rid of Jorginho this summer, but he's ended up playing a load of minutes. Mm. Kante, we're over-reliant on. Mason Mount's played every single minute. He's still young. Pulisic has played loads of minutes and got injured. Can we rely on Callum Hudson-Odoi? Can we rely on uh, Thiago Silva, who's 36 and clearly our best defender? It's just all a bit muddled at the moment. Fullbacks aren't even that great either. I don't even think they're that, that amazing. If you still have to go with you know, Palmieri at times, Reese James is clearly not at that top level that everyone thinks that he could have been at this point. Like we, I know we mentioned Allegri, but what about Campos from, Mm -hmm. from Lille or I believe he was, he was over there. Why don't, why don't you go and get a director like that? Because also now at the same time, but but they were lauding their directors this summer. (laughs) Yeah, but they were, they were state of play was (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's easy, but it's easy to laud them when you have the money. It's and you get the deals over the line. It's like when you play career mode and you have the money to spend and you want to buy for the hell of it. Oh, who's the who's the top prospect I want? I'm just going to get it for the hell of it and I'll make it work somehow. That's what I see with their their squad building. It seems like they drew inspiration from a FIFA career mode, and it sounds silly to say that <laughs> and pretty juvenile, but I'm going to say it. I think you could have the money that they spent could have been far more dispersed and spread out over the squad yes I think Mendy was a good acquisition they needed to get someone in there who can provide at least some sort of stability in 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 goalkeeping but my goodness a a lot of these players are just strictly underachieving and you have to wonder how much is it really down to the players because the players as I said I think they're really good quality Chilwell 
Ziyech. We saw what they were doing. Maybe Ziyech is a little bit of a different case because I think you can make a case that in those Ajax squads of, of the previous years, he was probably carried or maybe looked out to be a be- much better player than he was. I think there was players in those Ajax squads that maybe carried them more so than he did. But in any case, I, I think at the end of the day, when, the, when, when you kind of look at everything with Chelsea, regardless, I don't know if Lampard lasts the rest of the season. Obviously, we'd have to see where they finish. But I don't see him being the manager moving into next season. I think that would be a massive mistake, in my opinion. It would have to be a really big turnaround, right? Right. It would have to be a big turnaround, but it would also have to be not just a results turnaround. It would have to be. It would have to be the results, yes. But it would also have to be wow. We finally got Werner to hit hit form. We finally got some of these players that struggled, like Havertz, to really kick on to really make the most of this opportunity. And we're not seeing that right now. It has to be now. It has to be now. Yeah, you have to. Go ahead. I was just going to say one more thing, right? Like on the Havertz buy, for example, we we lauded Havertz on this show when he was at Leverkusen. Um, He's extremely talented, but when you buy a guy for seventy million, it's usually a bad buy, right? History tells us that. Let's look through the 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 top twenty buys in in the world, right? We've got Neymar, okay. Mbappe, okay, okay. You've got two generational players there. Coutinho, 145 million euros, flop. Jao Felix, 126 million euros, still has to prove it. I think he's, he's been great this season, but still a lot of money. Griezmann to Barcelona, 120 million wow. euros, flop. Dembele to Barcelona, flop. Pogba to Manu, flop-ish. Flop, Eden, flop, flop, Eden, flop. Eden Hazard to Real Madrid, flop. Ronaldo to Juve, okay. Bale to Madrid, okay. Ronaldo to Madrid, okay. Higuain to Juve, flop. Uh, Harry Maguire to uh, Man United. I wouldn't call that one a flop. 90 million euros? You don't think, you think he was worth 90 million euros? I, th- I, th- I think he... Hmm. I mean, I guess, well, I guess, I guess for them it was kind of like we buy and we win the title. How about, how about exactly? But how about but this? ninety million? Because is if a they lot. if they don't win the Champions League with Cristiano Ronaldo, then it's just a Juve thing, right? Sure. Because it sure. was it was Higuain was supposed to get them over that hump, and if Cristiano Ronaldo can't get them over that hump, and I understand the squad is a little bit different, and Matt will tell you that. But at the same time, I think that's just a Juve because at the end of the day, he didn't make them worse. They were still yeah. winning the titles. They set the record for points when they beat Napoli for that. Yeah, they, they had a hundred. So mm. I, I wouldn't. I, I know what you're saying, though. Well, he wasn't. He wasn't 36 goals a season like no. Napoli. He won't. But yeah, sorry. And then Maguire to United, not a flop, but not value for money. Romelu Lukaku, so Everton to United, flop, massive flop there. Van Dijk to Liverpool, okay, great signing. Suarez to Barca, great signing. But this is where the, the prices get lower. Like Lukaku to Inter, that looks good so far. Pepe to Arsenal, apologies, flop. Uh, Kepa, Ares Villaga, the worst signing in, in footballing history at 72 million. Uh, Lucas Hernandez has been a flop so far for, for Bayern Munich. Kai Havertz, flop. I mean, we can go lower. Di Maria to United. Frankie de Jong doesn't look a great signing. Um, wow. Arthur to Juventus. You know, it's like, like from what we've read there, it's kind of like a 50, 60% chance you get it wrong when you pay that much money. They're mostly going to be overpriced. So I, I, I think if you're yeah. Chelsea, like if you look at who the, the teams that are doing well, it's not the ones that are paying the most money for players. Like if, you look, at, if you look at Bayern, Liverpool um, at the moment, who are the two, who have been the best two teams in the world for the last 18 months, they haven't paid crazy money for players. Even Man City, right? They pay big money for players, but they don't usually spend like 100 million on one player. They're not it's even the in final the top piece to the league. puzzle kind of thing. They're yeah. like people. Uh, this this is perfect because of what happens in American sports all the time. 
it's about building up with the resources that you have at your hand. Like if you are the richest club in the world, why are, why do you not have the, one of the five best academies in the world? For example, like why are you not producing some of the best possible? It is the cheapest route and you could simply go the way Liverpool did. We saw Leicester city, Leicester city win the premier league by spending smartly. Look at what Milan's doing there right now. Or when Juve started their dominance, that midfield that they had of Pirlo, Vidal, Marquisio, Paul Pogba, it cost 10.5 million euros on the transfer market for transfer fees. That's, that's smart. They, they, how many times are we, we even looking at it? And, and it goes beyond um, these massive purchases too with Chelsea, right? Like Bakayoko was a flop too. At a certain point, Kovacic wasn't even living up to it. This, this is a track record with Chelsea. This isn't mm. like it's something new, right? And I've said this time and time again. How, like, what a, we can't, I can't even give them praise for the Mendy signing. They have to sign Mendy because they can't get their freaking goalkeeper right because it's the shittiest transfer that has, the world has ever seen. Like, that's, that, that's on them. They can't even get a proper left back after Ashley Cole. Like, how many times have we said, oh, Chelsea's had a, had a top three left back in the Premier League since he left? I, yeah. I, I do, I, I do I think Chilwell's been good, but like... Oh, again. Even him, I don't think he's lived up to that price. Yeah. He I, has to be the best in the money. league. I mean, if, if you, you look at if you look money. at Kieran Tierney coming for twenty three million versus Chilwell for fifty five, it's like and he's been what you could say he's twice the player and his best performance is below Chilwell's out of the water. I mean, how many like that's it's pathetic and and you know it's funny because the the manager always gets to blame at Chelsea, but how many times are we not looking towards Marina and saying, okay, this squad is 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 terribly built. They they've ruined Werner's confidence. As well as like it's it's on him to finish off a lot of the balls that he sent in um, for for these goals, but he they've effectively ruined him at this point. Like this is approaching Fernando Torres territory. Like it's mm. getting that serious. I truly do mean that. I do. I do feel bad for him. Like, I, and the reason I feel bad I for don't. him is because he quit to- on his he quit on his team when they were still in the Champions League to head to Chelsea early, and he's playing like this. I mm. tr- I don't feel bad, bad for someone like that. Maybe I'm harsh, but. I mean, I mean, I, in the sense that his performance with Chelsea, I didn't think have been that bad. And he's had two basically inch offside decisions, which one of them would have been a winner against Spurs. And and last night as well against Leicester would have been a goal to get them back in the game. But I think he's been a bit unlucky, but I I guess the difference between him and Torres is that he's got time on his side. He's not 29. He's not 30. Um, If Chelsea want to give him time, he's probably going to score goals at some point. But he he was just the best striker on the market that hasn't come close to living up to it. But but again, it was just like they they went around and went, who are the best players that we can buy who are under twenty seven? That's literally what they did. And then they couldn't find that for the centre back, and they were like, who's the best centre back that we could get? Thiago Silva. Let's just get him. And literally could have got an Upamecano type. Sure. Um, for around the same price of Havertz, right? I believe. Yeah. What was he going for? Like sixty million? I think Probably was like 55, the rumor. Sixty, price. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Depending, uh, I'm talking about euros though, too. So yeah. not even pounds. So I mean, like, it's just I, I don't get it. And then you're loaning out to Mori, but you're keeping Christensen. I, what has Christensen done? I th- I th- I don't get that. I, <laughs> yeah. I, and uh... I know I I forgot. I think it might have been Harry that was talking on 
um, Twitter saying it's more of a political thing. It, it like, is like I think Lampard is, true, is playing guys that he likes and he's keeping guys that he likes. And that's why Mount's getting all these minutes, and it's not yeah, even and disrespect to, be fair, to him. And to be it's fair, Mount disrespect. has been probably one of their best players this season, and I think he's kind of slept on quite a lot. But again, your best midfielder shouldn't be an under twenty three England player who has is in his third professional season of football, right? If you're Chelsea, and how much did they per- get him for? Uh, he came from the academy. So, it, it, oh yeah, but he was he was on loan. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, come on, come on. I mean, it's great to have players come from your academy, but when you spent almost a dozen players near that position or up closer to the goal, and he's better than them, that's an issue. That that's just an issue. I, how is it not? I I just don't I just don't understand. I think that I think they're a disaster and they're the biggest disappointment in all the top leagues this season. I don't think it's close. Yeah, it's it's really that bad. You cannot you. There is no justification when you have people on the internet. You know, obviously their opinions can vary in terms of like the weight that they carry, but you cannot call it the greatest transfer season of all time <laughs> and do this. Yeah, Are you kidding it's, me? It's, not it's one thing to not win the league, but zero wins versus the top nine. You're struggling. That is so pathetic. They're so pathetic right now. It's not, it's not even funny because you know what? At the end of the day, and this is where I come to the defense of Arsenal. If this was Arsenal doing this, how much more shit would they have gotten? Low-hanging fruit. If it was Spurs, the amount of jokes that we would get. With Chelsea, we keep on punting on it. Oh, give him some time. Give him some time. Just unlucky. Is it unlucky when it's weeks and months? Like, come on now. Where's the accountability with this? Because because it's going to blow up. Because if this gets worse, everybody's going to get fired. Everybody. Marina's gone. Lampard's gone. They're going to be retooling everything. You, We know it. We know how Roman works. The, the second he sees, if the, you miss Champions League this year, they're all fired. There's no question about it. They're, they're, and, and they should be. Because it, it, be is, it is the biggest, in my opinion, it is the biggest disappointment in Premier League history if Chelsea don't make uh, the Champions League this season. Or one of. Because obviously that's such a, it's such a long history. But it has to be tough. Like, it's pathetic. It's truly pathetic. And, and we keep on finding excuses for it, or some people are. And there shouldn't be because if we're, if we're not doing that for other clubs where we're ripping on Arsenal, we're ripping on Spurs, we're ripping on Juventus, uh, Barcelona, why, why aren't Chelsea getting that same treatment? I know we're doing it here, but it's just uh, enough is enough already. Like, it's so pathetic. It, it really is. And that's the timer. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even talked about the Bundesliga yet. <laughs> yes, go, you guys go to the Bundesliga. I think I talked enough. You got it. Um. Look, like, yeah, brilliant to hear the the uh, kind of sneaking hint of uh, Martinez English accent coming out there. Great impressions. Um, hey, thank, thank you for picking up on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, a bit on the, the Bundesliga, and then we're going to talk about a couple of potential transfers. Um, you know, a big couple of games. Gladbach against Bayern. Who were t- Gladbach were two 0 down against Bayern Munich and came back to win three two. They look really, really impressive. I think Florian Newhouse was was awesome in that. And they didn't have uh, Marcus Turam, of course, after his crazy spitting on someone and uh, and having a six week ban. So uh, one of their best players was out there, and I think Brilian Bolo was also out as well. So so quite a uh, light on the attacking front, and they still managed to do that. They're looking really good, and I think you know. We just talked about Chelsea. Marco Rose doing a great job at Gladbach. I think he'd be on their list. I really do. I really do think he'd be on their list. And uh, Dortmund-Leverkusen last night. 
Florian Wirtz, uh, 17-, 18-year-old midfielder at Leverkusen, is lying up, uh, scored the winner. Um, he's everywhere on the pitch. Physically looks ready as well for, for, for big men big men football. And um, another player at Leverkusen looked stunning was uh, Moussa Diaby. He was excellent. I just looked at that and I looked at Jaden Sancho, who was kind of out of the game. And I mean, Dortmund were horrible in that game. Um, and he came off like 75th minute and Moussa Diaby was just ripping up Dortmund all game long, him and um, him and uh, Leon Bailey. And I was just looking at like, probably Moussa Diaby might be a replacement for Jaden Sancho when he goes in the summer. So those, those were my thoughts on that one. And um yeah, I think Bayern, the Bayern train is slowing a little bit. And also news that David Alaba is uh, all but confirmed to Madrid, Matt. Massive move. Huge if true, right? As the, as the <laughs> people on Twitter would say, right? Say. Um, yeah, we, we talked about this in a previous episode or two, I think, uh, kind of giving uh, everyone an update on what's going on with Sergio Ramos um, and David Alaba. Of course, two players under contracts, two huge players and two of the best in world football in their positions. And yeah, it, it seems as though David Alaba was, is going to be headed to Madrid, according to Marca. It looks as though that maybe it's not completely finalized, but it seems as though that the, there's a match there for, for Madrid to, to scoop up Alaba. And that would be a massive signing. Obviously, we all know what Alaba is capable of. We all know his positional versatility and everything he just offers in terms of class and ability. So this is a slam dunk, especially if you get him on a free. A player like that is really just never available for free often. So... Yeah, that, that would be a phenomenal addition for them. But on the flip side, they have a potential issue on their hands with Ramos, right? I think there's uh, the possibility that, you know, I've read that Manchester United are interested in Sergio Ramos. I've, you know, today, just right before we went live, the um, – so I forgot with the source, but there was like a little talk about, well, can Maldini go to Ramos? Is that something that can be uh, convinced, right? I mean, that would, be, can, that would be – that would be massive. <laughs> I mean – Listen, I'm not saying anything, but if Milan somehow managed to win a title or at the minimum get top four and Ramos was available, he's another player that, all right, yeah, he's not 23-24, but my goodness, you have to make an exception to get Sergio Ramos to <laughs> yeah. play in the, in the back line. Like, that would be insane. But two big players, and if you look at just a, a quick glance at the upcoming free agents slash free transfers, however you want to frame it, the list is very impressive. I mean, I'm not talking Aguero. about Hakan and Donnarumma, who are still, you know, right now, as things stand, um, going to become free agents come June. But yeah, Sergio Aguero, I mean, that's a massive, massive player for someone who, if it's not City, you're getting a player who's City's all-time leading scorer, who's one of the best strikers of this generation, and he still has a ton to offer. So that's going to be really fascinating to see which clubs can snap up some of these um, available players Juve are probably going to be in the mix for a handful of them. of them just because, <laughs> yeah, because because that's what they do. They did it with Rabio, they did it with Ramsey, Kadira, the list goes on and on. So we'll have to wait and see how things play out on that front. And I'm curious to know um, what things are going down or what things as far as pre agreements can be reached this month, month because Messi's another one, right? He's already officially available to speak to other teams, essentially, right? So a, a lot to digest um, on the transfer, transfer window front. And um, I'm, I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on. Anything relating to Alaba as a fit, maybe, at Real Madrid? Where do you think he fits in? Do you think he's um, worth the money? And give me your thoughts on it. I I would hope if I was a Madrid fan that it's not a replacement for Sergio Ramos because, yeah, I, I don't know, like, 
they look awful without Ramos defensively. Uh, whenever I've watched them over the last 18 months, they have looked shocking without him. So I, I would be very scared if I was a... I think Madrid's a really weird situation because we're going to talk about one of the players that's maybe going to go out on loan in a second. But like, just if I look at the way they've built the squad again, it's it's actually quite poor, um, even though they have won trophies and are winning trophies. So I think Zidane is not a very likable coach. He doesn't play very nice football. I've said it on, on the show a million times. He doesn't look like he's very liked by players. He has these certain favourites that I think respect him, but maybe not like him. He plays overly pragmatic, slow, boring football, but he wins titles. So you've got to give it to him. But like, how long can you rely on Ramos, Modric, Casemiro, Cruz, Benzema? These guys are all like 28, 29 to 36. Like, something's got to give. Like, Benzema can't play at this level forever. He's been doing it since he was 18. Sergio Ramos can't be playing <laughs> anymore at this level. He's done it. He's been doing it since and, 18. And you'd, and you'd feel with, too, with, um, you know, obviously Varane has accomplished so much at such yeah. a young age. I think he's 25, 26 in that bracket. A World Cup winner. He's won Champions League. He's won everything so far. You've got to kind of sense that if the time is now to maybe pass the torch, maybe it's him, right? Maybe he's yeah. the guy to to lead the back Looks line. Like but I, shit I think without Ramos. I think yeah. you're. I think you're <laughs> spot on. I think you're spot on with some of the other players. I, I know Modric is. Uh, there was one point in time where a lot of people thought Modric was maybe a possibility to leave you know, Milan. Uh, I think when Boban was a, a director at the club. And it seemed as though that maybe Modric was eh, looking for one last big contract outside of Madrid, and then that was kind of going to kind of be it. But he's picked things back up again, and he's still very important to Real Madrid. So, if at the same time, if you're Madrid, how many of those players of in that sort of upper the prime year bracket can you go with, right? And you know Benzema, you've been relying on for years, Ramos. Um, Modric, as you mentioned, I mean, Cruz is still very young, and so is Casemiro as far as you know what they can offer. But yeah, you feel as though that there's got to be some Galacto, Galactico signings coming up, but Alaba could be one. Is it Mbappe? Is it Holland in a year or two? It's going to be fascinating to see because we talked about it, I think, at the tail end of the summer about you know, who our winners and losers were from the summer window, and Madrid didn't really buy anybody. They weren't in a position where they wanted to spend a ton and infringe on what they wanted to do moving forward with some of those other main targets like Mbappe and Holland, for instance. So they're going to be really fascinating to watch come summer as far as what they go on, uh, what they go on to do. And the player that I just mentioned, Martin Odegaard, uh, being left out of the cup squad for this weekend and or this week. And apparently he might be on the way out on loan. Another player that has been alienated by <laughs> Zinedine Zidane, the breaker of careers, as they call him. Jeez, it's yeah, I, I don't. And this one, too, is another tricky one because, you know, I was. So looking forward to him going back to Real Madrid after the year he had at Sociedad. And you see this, and it's just kind of back to square run, right? But just when he gets that momentum, he looks really sharp, creative, technical. He's got so much in his locker. And then he goes back to Real Madrid, and Zidane just kind of throws him on the bench. Now, listen, I know Madrid, uh, they're always competing for everything. They got a ton of talent in there. Um, but at the same time, you kind of have to look at and wonder, well, is this a, a matter of the player not being Real Madrid quality or is it the fact that Zidane has an agenda and he just simply has his players that regardless of how they're doing or performing at the time he will always side with um, you know and, and that's and that's what I wonder right and I, that's what kind of, I kind of fear in many ways with a potential return for Brahim Diaz right I hate to keep <laughs> talking about Milan but there's reports that Zidane wants him back well if you're Brahim Diaz and you're playing as a key member for Milan who's on the upswing and are really bouncing back 
do you want to go back to Real Madrid seeing what some of these other young players are going through as far as getting opportunities and minutes? Because then you go through that loan cycle of being bounced around. And a lot of these players by now want to at least have some sort of stability with their career. So I'm curious to get what your opinions on the young players at Real Madrid are probably thinking in, in, in lieu or in reaction to what they're seeing with Odegaard and um, even Kubo, right? Kubo was on Real Madrid. He goes on loan. Now he's bounced around to Villarreal and he's potentially going elsewhere. So just give me your thoughts on that. I mean, none of the young players have broken through, have they? Like the, the closest thing that we've had is Vinicius, isn't he? And he, and he even hasn't. Mm-hmm. He so hasn't it's really, kind of like, yeah. I don't know. It's it's not good for these young players, is it? Like, I, I just I just look at all the young players that are there it's, oh, I don't know, man. Like, Rodrigo, Odegaard, obviously, we've just mentioned. Uh, Valverde. Valverde's done the best out of them, but even now isn't in the squad too much. Asensio's had an injury worries. Um, you know, uh, like, every single youngster hasn't really got there, you know? It, and it's and they needed some of these guys. That that was the whole tactic, wasn't it, for Real Madrid to stop the Galactico thing and go for the next Neymar after they missed out on Neymar. You go for Vinicius, you go for Rodrigo, um, you go for you go for these young guys and hope they get you make stars rather than um, buying them. And I thought Wait, that's the model when, they were going when, for. When was, it, when really was the well. last time they ever did that? Anyways, Varane, I guess maybe Varane. <laughs> Is it, but but like. <clears throat> you plug Varane into like the most experienced and talented side in the world, like chances <laughs> of him flopping or what? I mean, he's still done well though. Like, come on. I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, what were the odds that he wasn't even going to fail? The situation that they're putting these players in is ridiculous because first of all, they're expecting trophies, winning champions leagues of players that are clearly not ready for it. And then they're mixing them with guys that are on their last leg or on the back end of their prime, right? Like Luka Modric should have left Real Madrid the same time Cristiano Ronaldo should have. And it's not because he's he's poor or anything like that. He's still really good. But at the same time, how do you expect to develop players like that? Zidane isn't someone who who could clearly develop players like that. Like, look at the relationships alone. If you're not, like, how many times has Zidane, we've sat there and said, this guy's done a great job with building up confidence for some of his young guys here. I mean, wh- when has one of their young guys exploded to being one of the best in the world? Like he, they Closest can't even develop. It was the the Rodrigo hat trick in the Champions League? I guess that was when we were like, oh, maybe this guy will do it now. And how long ago was that? A yeah. while ago. And, 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 while ago. And, and it's like we we need them to dominate against the lower lower table sides in La Liga, and they're not really doing that to an extent. And mm-hmm. when they were winning games over the summer too, they were low scoring wins. It was like one nothing, two nothing. You know what I'm saying? It's just for me. It's I think it's terrible building by Perez. I don't think Zidane is <laughs> the right fit. Um, and you know what? And I genuinely still think he's just trying to gear up for another superstar, and he just wants to do that to try and you know cover up what's been going on. They won the league, and it's like they won the league because Barcelona's in worse shape, and Atletico stumbled out of the gates. Like, like this is just unacceptable at this point too with them. Mm. It's and and it's really a changing of the guard because it's been so fascinating because we watched for a full decade certain teams absolutely dominate and how the era of of this sport is changing into a different direction and you got to see what clubs are smart enough to be ahead of the curve and you know Liverpool, 
Bayern, they're ahead of it. Like Real Madrid is falling behind. And mm-hmm. and you know what? We say they still haven't replaced Cristiano Ronaldo. How long do we think it's going to take for them to replace Sergio Ramos? Because it might be a while. Because it might be. Because at this point, they should do everything they can to keep him until they find a viable replacement next to Varane. Because it's, David Alaba is just a name. It's just a sexy signing, the name. I, yeah. I, I don't think that's something that says... I don't okay, think it makes a big difference on the pitch. Not at all. And you know what? Really and, and also to the, to the logic and the point of if Bayern Munich is getting rid of somebody chances are it's not a good thing. Like how many times has Bayern <laughs> Munich let somebody go and you say, wow, that was a huge mistake. I mean, Tony Cruz wanted to leave, but they want, he wanted to leave though. It's a little different, right? I don't think they were like willing to sell him. They didn't want to resign David Alaba. That's, you know, and that guy was on the decline. Botang, right? Same thing with him. Like Hummels got rid of him. Look at him. He's not even, he's not even close to the same player. It's yeah. just, there's there's just a long track record. They're, they're, they're smooth. They're smooth operators, Bayern. I'm not surprised. But, um, listen, as long as Martin Odegaard comes to Arsenal, I think it will be forgiven. Really, watch that one. I think it might happen. No, I don't think it might happen. Uh, it could happen. It could <laughs> happen. I mean, on loan. Now, is that where you want to put your priority for Arsenal? Like, I, I, it's a genuine we, we question. Is that have where you want to creative player? <laughs> No, no, no. It's a, it's a serious question. Yeah, no. Yeah, okay, genuinely, because... genuinely, I think I think Arsenal need a backup left back, a backup goalkeeper, and an, an attacking midfielder um, this January. I don't think we'll get all of them. The, the priority is getting rid of players, but I think if they a got guy rid like of the biggest one so far, yeah, I think if I mean Socrates today as well. If if those guys are available, um, as in if an Odegaard is available for a six month loan, and we can do it, we already have the relationship after the Danny Savile thing. Do it. Why not? Why not? He'd be a perfect forward to Smith Rowe, and if he plays really, really well, then he'll start for Arsenal. I so. think. I think. I think you have a chance to get longer than six months. I do, because I mean, I'm not saying no. I love the guy. You want to? You want to know why though? It's smarter to even go after that because if you do the six month thing, there's the risk of Zidane leaving, and then whatever manager mm. comes back into Real Madrid wants Odegaard to stay. Yeah, and play him. If you can get that in and get that agreement and Zidane still has Perez's ear or vice versa, then you pounced on a great opportunity for that, right? Because you don't want to risk it at the end of the day for, and even then, you know, like, what are they even going to do eventually with the manager thing? Because they got that to figure out. But I mean, we've been talking forever at this point. Um, On top of that interview, I guess anything else before we head out? Champions League is back soon. So nothing for me. Excited for the next few. There goes Santangelo. <laughs> so I guess we could just plug his stuff for him. <laughs> he's gone. Yeah, Damn. he's just gone. He didn't he's say left. anything. He was on he mute. Got he, probably has something to, he probably has something to do uh, with work. So we could plug him with Matt underscore Santangelo for his Twitter. We've been doing a bunch of stuff with Milan Reports. We just launched the first podcast yesterday. Um, oh wait, oh he's back. He's back. Matt, technical we were just difficulty your there. St- <laughs> we were just plugging your stuff we were for, plugging you. You How for about, you. uh Yeah, I was just talking about the. Hey, if it's, if it's already episode. done, it's already done. I appreciate it. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I was just talking about the first episode yesterday. If you just wanted to discuss that before we let Pet plug himself as well. Um. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> if it hasn't already been done, so please follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo and make sure to follow at Milan Reports. Martino and I have uh, recently undertaken the roles of uh, doing some post-match commentary there, uh, comments that we typically would do in the state of play here. And uh, we, we're, we're, we're moving full steam ahead. So make sure you guys follow us on, uh, on there as well. You can find me at Pet Baritian, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A uh, on Twitter. Uh, yeah, mostly talking about uh, Arsenal being bad too. but kind of being all right this like recently so let's see what they're turning they're turning around troops finally saw arsenal win in, in the united states it's been a big thing over here in, in the area um anytime he goes to the new york office he, they, yeah they, he thought they he thought it. yeah he thought he was cursed it's so funny they don't it's it's so great to see him be so passionate they're like this is because they treat it like because they don't understand how every single regular season game is like a playoff game so essentially so they don't understand why he's going so nuts against the game like Burnley or whatever they're like I, I don't understand like you don't win anything today but anyways so Arsenal seem to be turning a, a, a slight corner nowhere to go but up um yeah you could just follow me at Martino Puccio on Twitter as well um yeah big big week Milan winter champions Matt um it's great to see by the way there's been a statistic that 90% chance uh 90% of the time a team that has won the winter title has gone on to the Champions League so it's a good sign to finally get back into the competition i just wanted to send more Let's go vibes out there. yes <laughs> um also we're going to be doing more yeah. state of play live streams i'm making sure of that are we yeah, are you making sure of that i'm i'm yeah. personally going to be making sure of that also harry brooks is coming back on the podcast next week so uh, look out for that everyone. harry brooks is back yeah he's been he's been exploding everywhere I know, it's man. Been, he's uh, fucking everywhere. Literally every time I open Twitter, he's got a tweet that's got like a really, really want to get his take on the Deli Ali situation. Yeah. As well. So I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in all that. Um, other than that, guys, he's just listening to some work. Yeah. 